Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Friday, March 12th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Britt Giroli here with you. It is part three of our three-part series looking for breakouts around the league. Today is the AL East and the NL East. Got a few other things we're going to talk about in this episode, including some experiments that are going to take place in the minor leagues. Jason Stark had a piece outlining some of the details, and it's wild. Different stuff at different levels, but good to sort of do these things in isolation, I guess, and figure out what works and how it impacts the game and maybe other things that happen as a result of making these changes. The Athletic Cutline Fantasy Baseball Contest went live. That starts up on Monday, so if you'd like to play in that, it's free for Athletic subscribers. There are some prizes. Uh, We'll put the link in the show notes. We'll talk about what makes that a bit different at the end of the show. Uh, First, I just want to say thank you to everybody who voted for us in the Baseball Pods bracket on Twitter. We were deemed co-champions with our friends over at the Pitcher List which is awesome, and uh, we had some really tough matchups along the way against some friends over at the Sleeper and the Bust, among others. Uh, The CBS podcast, that was a a tight battle earlier this week, and uh, it sounds like bots maybe influenced the final, so we have a co-championship here in 2021, but we're really happy that we have that, and of course, we appreciate Chris from Baseball Pods for putting that together, so be sure to check that out, and check out some of the other shows that are in the bracket, too. It's really cool that we live in a time where there are enough fantasy baseball <laughs> podcasts to put them into a bracket like this and to play it out March Madness style. Yeah, I mean, we were all talking to each other and uh, it looked like we were doing all right against the pitcher list, which I was surprised because that's a great show and, you know, those are great people and um, we're going to have a pretty exciting thing where because we're co-champions, we're going to do a co-super pod on Monday, I think, uh, where it'll be the four of us um and I think the general idea is to debate some of the pitchers we disagree on, uh, which I think will just be a lot of fun. Um, but uh, it was really weird because we thought we were doing well. And I was, you know, before <laughs> dinner with like two hours left, I'm making dinner. We're winning 53-47. There's 2,000 votes already in the bank. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be pretty hard for them to overcome so quickly. Um, and then... Uh, I finished dinner 20 minutes later, there's 2,500 votes and they're up 60-40. And I thought, I, I, I don't know if this like exposes me as a cynic, but I was like, oh, they dropped the hammer on us. I thought, I thought they'd like, you know, had like a Slack message go out, you know, like during dinner that they like waited, you know, to, to drop a bunch of votes on us. And, uh, and so I thought it was like a whole strategy thing. I didn't even think bots right away. But, you know, Nick and, and Alex are just uh, such quality individuals. They had, hadn't ever thought of even dropping the hammer on us. And they, they immediately went to Twitter and said that this wasn't right and that something was wrong. Um, so uh, even though they won 55-45, uh, we think about 500 of those votes might have been from a bot. And uh, anyway, this is why we can't have nice things, I guess. It's just for fun. It's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, it should be a really cool pod, and and uh, I can't wait to listen to it. It's a, uh, it's 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 amazing to me as somebody not as you know shocker, uh, not nearly as well versed in fantasy baseball as you two to see the growth and the interest um, as it continues to get bigger and bigger. And we'll get into later, hopefully, a way for us to participate with the novices like myself and the people listening who aren't fantasy baseball nerds, aren't nearly as, as well-versed. Um, but it was cool to see how many people were like, I love Rates and Barrels. I love Pitcher's List. Mm-hmm. I can't choose between my children. Yeah. And it's like, yes, you can. Pick the one with the most potential. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I always think everybody with kids is lying when they say they don't have a favorite kid. I'm like, come on. Like, you, you have a kid. You love all your children in a way that, you know, you could only love your own children. But you probably do have a favorite kid. Like, let's, let's Actually, be honest you know, the, about that. The, the way that it is for me with the two that I've got, one is very much like me when I was growing up. Um, and then one is very much not like me. And so uh, it, I know that it seems like a cop-out, but I love them both very different. Like, it, I will admit, it's a different kind of love. Because one of them, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, the younger one, Calvin, like, most of the time, I'm just like, what? what? <laughs> you know? And the older one, I'm like, yep. <laughs> I mean, the older but one, which one do you love more no. you know which one it's like, which one it's it's a little bit like do you love yourself or your wife more <laughs> myself Never really stop because it's a little it. bit he's like the, the younger one's a little bit more like my wife and the older one's a little bit more like myself i'm a little bit harder on the older one um so i don't know uh but but like the older one wants to play dungeons and dragons and the younger one is like knee deep in like paints and we have these like uh, it's he's very tactile you know he's just like he's just like throws himself at art and stuff so just different guys you know <laughs> on that note uh, hopefully Eno's kids don't stumble onto our YouTube channel and learn <laughs> more about how they are weighted in the minds of their father <laughs> Parenting pod coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> another another channel, another playlist that we can work on in addition to our, our dog training videos and uh, uh, sandwich making videos <laughs> that will happen at some point in the future. But let's get to our breakouts. Let's start in Atlanta. And we've talked about this throughout the week. There are some teams where there aren't really a lot of spots up for grabs. So finding a true breakout or a deep sleeper is a little bit more difficult I'm going to say I still believe in Austin Riley, though, guys. We saw him take some steps forward with his plate discipline last season. And I think if you look back at his minor league track record, especially in the upper levels of the minor leagues, he has this pretty clear pattern, getting up to a new level, having the strikeout rate jump, making some adjustments, and then kind of tearing it up. And he's there to hit, right? This is an, the offense that's really good top to bottom anyway. But Austin Riley versus Johan Camargo for playing time at third base really should favor Austin Riley, barring something catastrophic from him at the plate. I think he's an easy 25 home run candidate with room for 30-plus if he really just takes over that job and, and runs with it from day one this season. Yeah, I, I had him down in the breakouts today that came out uh, for you know possibly hitting 270. I think that's the part that's the breakout. I think the power is there. If he puts together the power with the new strikeout rate, I think he might be able to hit 270. But even if he doesn't, I think he's a great like best ball guy because I think he'll be so streaky. He'll, they, he is going to have some weeks this year that are just he'll be like the headliner on all the on, on the ESPN like on all, all the shows where they're just like oh my god Austin Riley's on fire he'll hit like six homers in in a week and a half or something um, and then he'll just go in the tank for a while because that's he's just the kind of player he is strikeout rate is usually there he's kind of sometimes he's he he told me in the AFL that he gets stuck between fastballs and sliders sometimes that he like you know that he the the hitting speed he's not always um, at the right hitting speed. So uh, I think he's figured some of that part out, but um, I think uh, yeah, I think it's a great pick. Yeah, I agree. I'm not going to make a fool out of myself and come up with another because I really don't think there is one. Riley would have been mine, 
You guys mentioned the strikeout rate. I mean, he walked more. He had more contact last year. Uh, I think you, it, it's the tough part with this breakout thing is we've said it a million times. What are you basing it off of, right? Like last, the last season was so odd. And I think you have to look for things like the fringy statistics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Austin Riley is a guy who could have a really strong, I think in general, people are sleeping on the Braves. I got asked this yesterday on the radio, why no one's talking about them. They've won the NL East the last two years. Mm-hmm. And somehow they're like predicted to be third or fourth. Um, I think if Austin Riley st- takes that step forward, that natural progression, there's no reason. I wouldn't be surprised if the Braves repeat in the division. It really wouldn't. I know the Mets are good. I know people are talking about the, the Nationals and to some extent the Phillies who really just brought the band back. Uh, but I think a good Austin Riley puts the Braves over the top. Yeah, the the only other place that I see uh, some conflict going down right now in terms of a, a springtime battle that might produce a sleeper um, is in center field. Um, David O'Brien reported yesterday that uh, Ender Inciarte Inci- Inci- can't grip the ball uh, right now, which uh, means that he's behind. And he's behind in terms of offensive potential, and defense doesn't age all that well. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's behind in every facet of the game right now in terms of health, offense, and defense uh, when it comes to Christian Pache, the young guy who only has like 24 plate appearances. So you're you're right. Like this is even worse than Austin O'Reilly. Like what am I basing it off of? I'm basing it off of mostly potential, age, um, and the inferiority of the the guy who's in the incumbent seat there uh, in Ender Inciarte. So I I do recognize that you could do uh, some things with Acuna in center, uh, and that's definitely a possibility. Uh, So don't, don't push your Christian Pache pick too high. Uh, but deep in a draft uh, for your final outfielder for a bench slot. The nice thing is that I think the projections are, are underrating his speed. I think if they let him go, and especially near the bottom of the lineup, um, I think that he could steal 25 bags. So you're talking about yeah. a guy who could, uh, you know, I think even like just being like more realistic, I think you could say 250 you know, 10 to 15 homers, 25 bags. It's, it's not a crazy uh, projection prediction for him. So um, he does need to win the job outright for that to happen. But if Andy Arantziarte can't even grip a ball, I think that's another another source of sleeperdom. No, there's just there's not a lot of like position battles really in Braves game. Like the backup catcher is a big deal there, which lends you to believe that if the backup catcher is being talked about, there's just not a lot of <laughs> yeah, right. positions up for grabs. <laughs> and Camargo looks like I think you're right, uh, DVR. Uh, Camargo is like obviously their utility guy. I mean, he's penciled in everywhere, so he he can't be the starter at third. Nice player, but not necessarily a guy you want to have in the lineup each and every day. Uh, let's go to Miami. I talked about Trevor Rogers with our friend Clay Link from Rotowire on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast yesterday, and it was kind of a light bulb moment. He's someone that I've had on a few keeper league teams, just sort of stashed away, and it's like we forget that he's a lefty and he throws ninety-seven, <laughs> and that's pretty exciting. Ordinarily, thirteenth overall pick in twenty seventeen, so there's clear prospect pedigree there, and if you're trying to bet on. Starting pitchers exceeding expectations, look at the Marlins over the years, in part because it's such a pitcher-friendly environment in Miami anyway. You can usually get away with finding those guys, at least streaming them at home, and usually they're a lot less talented than Trevor Rogers, as they bring a lot less stuff to the table than he does. He was up at AA at the end of 2019, so I mean it's possible that he gets some time back at AAA this year, but 
if they like what they see, there's really nothing holding him back from one of the spots in that rotation. I think you're going to get plenty of strikeouts, even if the ratios are a little bit bumpy initially. Yeah, I, I did a comp on um, on Trevor Rogers' uh, changeup and Devin Williams, dude. The closest changeup comp is Devin Williams. So I don't really understand. The stuff number I've got for Rodgers from Ethan Moore uh, before he went to the Twins uh, was below average. I don't really understand that because he does, as you say, sit above 94, has a Devin Williams-esque changeup that he can command, uh, which is rare. Because everybody around Devin Williams and Trevor Rodgers cannot command it. It's like a little bit of the kind of cotton, Honeywell, Faria, forkball-y... Uh, you know, what's it, the, uh, uh, what is it that, that Devin Williams actually throws? The, um, screwball. They call it the airbender. Yeah, but it's a screwball. Screwballs, you know, in that, in that territory, almost nobody can command them. Devin Williams can command it a little bit, uh, and Rogers can command it. So I, I think I'm going to have to bump them up just despite the, uh, despite the numbers. I think that there's something there for, for Rogers for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. We've talked about this before, but the Marlins, the, their whole success is going to be based on what happens with their offense, right? Because their starting pitching is deep and exciting. And I, Edward Cabrera was a guy that uh, I really liked that I think recently went on the, the DL and got optioned as well, right? With like nerve inflammation. Going on, um, yeah. He's another top 100 guy. He's a consensus like top arm. Um, he's a guy who I kind of wondered, would he factor into the Marlins plans before he got hurt? Maybe later this season. Um, I think the key for that team is going to be, Okay, not so much this year, but like seeing where they're at, like who do the Marlins at in 2022, right? That's going to be kind of where their window is at. And we saw them kind of hit it, I guess, a little too early this year. Uh, but to me, I think that's a great pick for a, a breakout, uh, guy DVR. I think that to me, the Marlins aren't nearly going to be as bad as people kind of have them automatically penciled in last place. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think you go through those arms and there's just a lot of really intriguing guys. And to me, half that roster is a sleeper because the casual baseball fan hasn't heard of most of the guys on the Marlins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, we've, we've got a lot of love for Sandy Alcantara and Sixto Sanchez based on where they go in fantasy drafts. Pablo Lopez has jumped up quite a bit, too, but... Pablo Lopez is not a guy that the average baseball fan is excited about. Eliezer Hernandez kind of fits that description, too. I think Rodgers could get a lot of attention. And I do. If Edward Cabrera is healthy, he might be the highest ceiling pitcher of all of these guys, which is crazy because those other guys, Sanchez and Alcantara especially, have plenty of ceiling themselves. So I really like what they've got as a young core of pitchers. Hard to believe they traded away Zach Gallen from this group, too. Uh, maybe maybe Jazz Chisholm is the guy that we should talk about on the position player side as a possible uh, now overlooked breakout candidate. I mean, it, it feels like we in the we play in keeper league dynasty league community. Like, sure, we know who he is and we follow prospects, but Jazz Chisholm is one of those guys that he could end up being the starting second baseman this year, and it might not take him that long to overtake Isan Diaz for that opportunity. Yeah, I I have a problem with the Marlins hitting prospects. It seems like they just gathered a bunch of guys who strike out a ton. And I I know I've seen the research that like, you know, high strikeout rate prospects still have high ceilings. Uh, and a lot of times they can put it together, but it's not happening. You know, Lewis Brinson, Monty Harrison, uh, Isan Diaz, Jazz Chisholm. Like, has any of them even shown us an inkling that they're going to put it together? 
I actually think John Birdie might be a sleeper for this team uh, this year, and he's 32. I just think that he's the guy who's most likely to be a credible second baseman. And if they're going to be credible this year, and it's possible, I mean, Duvall, Marte, Dickerson outfield, um, you know, Rojas is just going to be a league average type shortstop, but Brian Anderson's pretty good. They can fake it at first base with Aguilar and Cooper, um, and Alfaro's pretty good. You know, uh, Birdie actually would make this team better than the prospects. And if you want a prospect, the name for that I like is J.J. Bleday. Um, and I've been able to get him. I got him in my 12-team dynasty uh, restocking draft. He, for some reason, wasn't owned, even though we all have 10, uh, at least 10 prospects in our in our um in our minor leagues, and it's a 12-team league. I I was very happy to take Bleday, and he. The one thing that Blade does that nobody else does on this team is make contact. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that's my guy. I think he's close. And there's enough window of opportunity with Corey Dickerson's getting injured fairly often, Marte getting injured fairly often, and Duvall being kind of uh, um, sometimes a platoon player. Um, and if Brinson and Hunt Harrison don't step forward... Blade might be the big call up to be like, hey, we're we're gonna go for it. We're doing well enough in the division that we're gonna go for a wild card and and we think a window's opening, so here comes Blade. Yeah. My uh you know, and I just wrote a story about kind of the the teams with the fastball velocities and how you can assess who's good at adding velo. And a team that kept coming up as relying on the private sector too much was the Marlins. So I'm wondering if how much here the development of those young hitters, as you said, is being set back because by and large, and correct me if you guys have heard the opposite, but all I've heard is that the Marlins are still behind in the player development. They're in the bottom tier in that regard, and they get away with it by having a lot of their guys go to the private sector and get better. Uh, but I do wonder if that's going to be a thing or if that's something that's hampering or going to hamper some of their younger hitters. I think that they're working. I think that they were the worst the worst team in baseball at player development a few years ago. And now they've had a couple regime changes and they've, they're working at it. And I know some people in there and I don't want to say that it's terrible, but you know, I think when Dan Straley was there, um, you know, I heard that they were taking weighted balls out of people's bags. He had to do, he had to do weighted balls in his, in his, in his house. Like he couldn't do it at the park. So, I mean, weighted balls at this point are pretty ubiquitous. I think almost every team has like a, a wall that you can throw them against. Every team is kind of either they shrug and say, you know, fine, do your own thing, or they embrace it like the better teams. Uh, and they have these gas camps where they have the wall for you and they have all the machines up and everything. So I, I don't know that I'd put, I definitely wouldn't put the Marlins in like the top 10. Um, but I don't think I'd necessarily put them in the bottom two or three like they used to be. So. They're they're working on it, but yeah, I think that's a, I think it's fair. I think it's fair to wonder if like, you know, you they assembled all this talent and really you look at the, what they traded away that outfield of the century almost, and uh, what do they got for it? Yeah, amazing that they didn't do well in those trades in particular, uh, especially since I think they got Gallon in the Ozuna trade and then flipped him to get Jazz to get Chisholm. Worse. If they don't turn Chisholm <laughs> into something good, they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Had they just kept Gallon, they would have probably won won that trade. Yeah, one thing. (laughs) Uh. Yep. Let's go to the Mets, because I think they were a tough team for me to find a true undervalued player on. I mean, there's been a ton of attention on all the moves they've made, and they've got more depth than ever before. So they uh, 
have a little bit of the Padres, you know, redundancies at a couple of spots where maybe there's three players vying for playing time in two spots. I came up to the bullpen and and thought maybe that's where we find a sleeper. We talked to Trevor May about two months ago, three months ago now on this show. When he signed with the Mets, I was disappointed because I thought he could close if he went to a place like Philadelphia. I mean, a handful of teams that are looking for closers, and the Mets didn't seem to be one of them. But Edmund Diaz, for as talented as he is, has had a difficult time holding down that job in New York. So I'm going to put a chip behind Trevor May. I'm going to say if Edwin Diaz doesn't keep the closer role, Trevor May actually moves to the front of the line ahead of Juris Familia, ahead of Miguel Castro, ahead of Della Matances, and he becomes the new closer for the Mets. Uh, that, I mean, that's interesting. I, I, I do like that idea. That thing with Diaz that I don't think people realize is outside of, you know, he had that one bad year, which I think the Mets are hoping is just an anomaly because outside of that, he's been kind of the picture of stability. And to me, the interesting thing is that Luis Rojas, the Mets manager, has not named and will not name like a specific like you are the closer and that was a big deal early on in Mets camp um you know will it help him will it hurt him I think everybody knows that if the Mets are going to be good Trevor May can't be closing games he needs to be the setup guy their bullpen needs to be a deep group I think I don't think they can win the NL East without that bullpen stepping up without all of those guys firing but I agree there's not really a whole like you look up and down that that roster there's not like a whole lot of I guess sleeper picks maybe walker just because he hasn't pitched very much taiwan walker could be one because i think his spring outing the other day that actually i was was in florida for was his second or third outing in the last two years so you're not entirely sure what you're going to get out of that guy uh so i thought maybe he could count as a sleeper pick because certainly we've seen degrom already just do ridiculous things in spring training um if they can actually have a rotation um and, and it looks on paper you know, with Stroman and some of these other guys, it looks like it's going to be a strength. What if they get a, a real breakout year from a guy like Walker? How much better and deeper does that make this team? Yeah, I think uh, Walker's got a really nice fastball, and he's been developing a secondary. So I think there's a, there's a chance there that there's they got something good. I think um, I think Brandon Nimmo is underrated. You know, I think that um, you know he's. Uh, he's been slightly improving his barrel rate and his strikeout rate um, over time. And then on top of that, he's their natural leadoff guy. So, you know, as given health and then there's some question about defense, they're going to take him out of games early for defense uh, because the guys behind him are better at defense like Almora and Pilar. Um, but given that caveat, I would say that he could get a, a ton of, uh, of plate appearances. He hasn't had more than 530 in a season uh, so far. So what if he got to 6, 650 this year? I think that um, given those barrel rates, given the slightly improving strikeout rate, I think you could guy, get a guy who hits 275 with 20 homers and 10 steals. And I don't think he's going at that price. I'm not saying you should pay that price because there are these questions about his defense. Uh, but this could be a peak year for him. And uh, and they they could use a guy who plays two ways at center in center. I mean that's been a problem for them. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how much Kevin Pilar and Albert Amora impact Nimmo's playing time. I mean, I wonder if Nimmo sits against a lot of lefties and even does get those late game defensive replacements coming in for him. Those defensive replacements could be for Dom Smith and left though too. They, right? They, I mean, he's good of a hitter. There's a lot Dom of places Smith they is, need like, defensive replacements. <laughs> right. So. It, it could true. be a little overblown with Nimmo. And we, we've seen big side platoon players, if they come through on that 
80% playing time share, they could still be really valuable players going outside the top 200. I think Nimmo's ADP since March 1st is just outside the top 250. So if you believe in the power, I think you can draft him in that spot as your fourth or fifth outfielder and come away pretty happy. And part of the reason it works is because, as you said, you know, he's probably atop the order. Taiwan Walker, I think it's a good call, Britt. I mean, I just think he's a forgotten player in some ways. And once upon a time, he was one of the best pitching prospects in the game. He's not that old either. He got to the big leagues so quickly. You look at Taiwan Walker and you're like, oh, holy crap, he's only 28. That's amazing. I thought he was 35 because he broke in in 2013 now. Uh, pitched really well in uh, the shortened season with the Mariners and Jays, too. I think that offers a, a glimmer of hope that he can be a stabilizing presence in the back half of that rotation because there are some questions in the back. I think David Peterson, even though he's a former first-round pick, I don't think he's more than a number four, number five starter. Some people think there could be more there. I just don't see it. Carlos Carrasco's dinged up right now, so that probably puts Joey Lucchese in the rotation for a start or two, at least to begin I, I the season. Shivered. Yeah, he's not uh, not one of your favorite guys, <laughs> uh, I've, I've learned. So I, I think Taiwan Walker is pretty important to the Mets too, but I think, relatively speaking, also undervalued and, and someone we should be going after where he's going. Uh, let's take a look at the Phillies, where Spencer Howard would be my Captain Obvious selection. It's really a matter of health for him. They need him to be good. They really need him to be good. But is it going to be in the dreaded flex role? Yeah, I think I saw Gelb say he's ticketed for alternate site. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible use of resources. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he's not guaranteed to make the team and not, not to uh, – uh, I agree with you. The Phillies are, are a better team when he's on the roster. They should probably, yeah. Because Vince Velasquez, I think, is a really good – in uh you know freddie peralta looks like he's starting now but in the old freddie peralta role i would love to have him come in for two or three innings in the middle of the game you know and try to keep it close if one of the guys blows up i mean vince velasquez and matt moore as a pairing is kind of exciting actually you know you got your lefty and your righty they both you know have decent velocity they have bad command don't can't go deep into games I think that uh, I would do that and try to give Howard, you know, you can give him the fifth spot, right? If you give Howard the fifth spot, you can skip him a lot, right? That's, the, you know, in the first month, the, the fifth guy gets skipped a bunch. And that's how you keep his innings down. And you keep him with the major league pitching coach. And you, I don't know. That's what I would do. Yeah. I, yeah I don't agree. send guys like this to the alternate site. Just don't do it. Anything, Britt. I know, I know you despise the Phillies like they're 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 not (laughs) Brits Phillies why are they doing this why are they sending to the alternate site when they could just use them in the bullpen and look but if if he's bad here's my argument for any player who is not an obvious stay up all year sort of guy which I think is a fair description of Spencer Howard I think he's good but if he struggles you can option him down later like why not just continue the development and get the development right see because what I've heard from teams is they think that that's worse than just start. They'd rather they stay at AAA or whatever, crush at the alternate site, feel good about themselves, come up and stay up. Then a lot of young guys take that first optioning mm. the wrong way. They take it hard. They feel like, you know, I got my chance I blew and it. I guess I couldn't hack it. Yeah. So I kind of think if you're going to call him up, he better stay up. You better not say, well, if he falters, we'll send him back down. I think the issue with a lot of these young guys is that psyche. Um, so Confidence that's important. is huge. I think Confidence is huge. Yeah. But I don't mean to keep picking starting pitchers, but my guy for this is Zach Eflin because I think 
he's a guy who we know is going to make the team, right? He's going to be like their number three starter. And I think he has shown signs that he's a, he's, he's good. He, he had a really good year, uh, last year, but I think he actually is a guy who you look at some of his stats and he could even be better. And I think he's a key part, kind of like Walker. He's a key part of that rotation because the Phillies are basically kind of like rolling the dice with that same band, right? That's what Dombrowski did. He brought back basically that same group again. Uh, you know, like the Mets, their bullpen was terrible. Like most of the NL East, they've had a lot of bullpen issues going back to 19 even. Um, but I think for the Phillies, having a guy, uh, like Zach Eflin, have that breakout year could really help them. So Howard, to me, is the obvious pick. I think if you look a little deeper, uh, you need Zach Eflin to be very good. You need to get some innings out of your rotation. And that's a spot that the Phillies have kind of struggled with. Um, you know, their their rotation hasn't been very good or able to go very deep as of late either. Yeah, I had uh, I had Kingery in there. I just think Kingery can get back to uh, 2019. Um that might not be super exciting to uh, to shallower leagues. I mean, that's like 250 with some power and speed. Um, but now that I'm looking at this, I've got a different one. Jose Alvarado. And my thinking goes mm. such. Archie Bradley's velo is down. I've heard that there's some concern in camp about Archie Bradley's velo. Hector Neris, yeah, command. Um, Brandon Kinsler is kind of like a ground ball-y, uh, bring him in with people on, on base kind of guy. Jose Alvarado is throwing triple digits in camp right now. <laughs> I hope you guys are watching on YouTube so that you can just see the... <laughs> Did you see me start beaming yeah. when you said Freddie Peralta might be a <laughs> real starter again? Oh, oh man, the, the moving images... Uh, coming out of camp for him uh, are very exciting. That slide is he is he doing like a slider cutter fastball thing? I believe so. Yes, that is. It looked really nice. So Peralta, he gets it. He knows. He knows what he has to do <laughs> to make it work. And I, I, you know what, the kid thing is, who do you like better, Victor Robles or Freddie Peralta? Decide. <laughs> Peralta, I'm, I love them both in different ways. I, I am so down on Robles and DVR. We can debate this because it's, I think, our next team. But you, you state your Victor Robles love. Let's do we'll it. Give you the floor. Mike Rizzo likes him too. Mike Rizzo loves him. Apparently, <laughs> it's all about 2019. I'm giving him a pass for 2020. Like he wasn't that good he in 2019. He wasn't that good in 2019. He was good for our silly little game that we like to play, though, because he had power, he had speed, scored a decent number of runs. Right? I mean, there's, I think there's easy. 12 to 15 home run power there with room for more. And the speed, assuming he's a little lighter than he was last year. Yeah, have you seen him, Britt? He's thinner. Um, I do think he learned from, I think the real problem, and this is just my opinion, is he came up before Soto, right? He was supposed to be the guy. He got hurt. Then Soto comes up. You and see Soto's power. Like the best he gets ever. a little power. Yeah. He, you know, he gets a little taste of the power life and he's like, I'm going to pack weight on to be a home run hitter. Yeah. And it's like, that's not you, Victor Robles. Like, you actually also need to move around in center field. Yeah. Um, so I do think he's learned a little bit. My breakout guy is Carter Keeboom, though, because the Nationals cannot have a guy who, by the way, has been very pedestrian in spring training. Um, has not homered, hasn't really, hasn't had a, I don't think an extra base hit. Um, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but he hadn't, at least when I was down there. And I think you hear differing things in that organization about him. Some people are like, oh, he's going to be fine. Other people are like, should have sold him when he wears like a prospect, you know, two years ago. Mm. Um, and to me, if you're the Nationals, you can't have like a, a, a singles hitter at third base. 
And part of it's Carter Keboom, not, not Carter Keboom's fault, because the Nationals kept moving him around trying to find a position for him when they had Trey Turner and they knew all along that he wasn't going to come up and play shortstop. So what were they doing? Mm-hmm. Right? Like what? Like part of the issue is his development got stunted moving around a little bit and learning new positions. Uh, but to me, the guy who, the sleeper guy, the guy who needs to have a breakout year is Carter Keboom. Yes, Victor Robles, because it's very clear Davey Martinez wants Robles, Turner, Soto as his lineup. And if Robles can't handle the leadoff spot, that's a huge issue for them and for that whole lineup going forward. Uh, but I think Carter Keboom is another must for them. I, I to, hear to you. Kind of I hear forward. that he's a must for them. But just break it down for me in terms of what you think will actually happen in terms of Keboom, Castro, Harrison, Garcia. You've got second base and third base open. Who do you think plays the most? Um, I think Keboom plays the most mm. at third base. I think he's going to be given every opportunity to fail. If he fails, then I think they consider putting Castro over at third, putting Garcia at second. But what's interesting is Garcia was long considered behind Keboom, and he actually held his own, took a step forward, whereas Keboom kind of took a step sideways yeah. in 2020. Uh, and people made a big deal about maybe his groin was hurt. Uh, well, he's fine now, and he's still not hitting for power. So, you know, so I you're guess, saying like basically <laughs> give Keboom the eighth spot or the seventh spot, and yes, probably the eighth spot. Eight spot. Give put Gomez and yes, you get Gomez in seven and and Keboom yes. in eight, and maybe he'll get yes. some walks just by being in front of the pitcher. Maybe you know why I'm smiling again is because if Gomes is hitting seventh. And if Keyboom is hitting eighth, you know where that means Victor Robles is hitting? One. <laughs> one. He has to hit one, Derek, for this to work. He has yeah. to hit one. Um, but he can do it. I, I think people are underselling the hit tool. I think he's a good hitter. He's going to put a ton of balls in play. He runs he's well. He's not a power hitter. I don't think he's a pull-happy guy or anything. No, he's not a power hitter. But if if Victor Robles is another Starling Marte, is that disappointing based on what he was supposed to be as a prospect? Starling Marte has been a very good player for a long Starling time. Starling Marte hits a good ball I think harder. Yeah, and also Derek. Right now he does. He's older. Look at how look how hard did Starling Marte hit the ball when he was twenty two. Right, we okay. don't know. We didn't have those advanced stats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's uh. my point, though. It's like he's so young. Like we can't just look at him and be like, nah, that's what he is. <laughs> all right, my all main right, concern, my, my my parting shot on Victor Robles. My main concern is the way he <laughs> plays uh, lends itself to injury. He has scared the Nats a lot. He leans into pitches a lot. He gets hit by pitches a lot. Um, he is a guy who plays full throttle, which you like to see, but he is a guy who has a propensity to get injured because of that. They kind so of told Harper to stop doing that, right? Yes. Like There's um, so actually proof. You can actually see in Harper's numbers that like he stopped diving at some point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's like, so ooh, I, I have a big that- contract coming up. I better stop diving. <laughs> Just let the ball get by me. It's exactly. Fine. <laughs> I'll run. I'll run. Get uh, it. <laughs> so I think that that to me is my concern. If you're especially drafting him for fantasy purposes, the injury thing is real. Interesting. The other thing on Keyboom that's kind of interesting. He had LASIK, didn't he? Yes. Yes. How long was he trying to hit without being able to see yeah, the ball? It was like a groin injury, apparently. And it's funny because he didn't say the LASIK. Kevin Long was like, oh, yeah, he had LASIK, too. So that's why I'm glad you brought that out. So he could be the breakout guy. Now that he can see, I believe maybe he can hit. <laughs> he had a good walk rate before. <laughs> that's true. That'd be funny. No, he was just like, whatever. That'd be a funny <laughs> surgery. You're going for groin surgery, and they come out, and they're like, oh, we gave you LASIK, too. What? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we gave you an eye test as you were going under, and you uh, you failed miserably. So we figured we'd fix your eyes. I thought you were going to be down there. Hi, <laughs> oh, God. I don't think it works like that. <laughs> yeah, right. But I, like you, am not a doctor, so maybe it does work that way. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to the AL East. Baltimore. Charm City, right? I always mix up the Charm City and the Emerald City. Yes. Charm City. I don't know why they call it that. You probably know, Britt. That's, that's your, it's so your turf. It's so charming. I live here. That's it? Uh, Yeah. The water? It's such a charming city. Yes, it's a lovely place. We live. A, I live about 20 minutes outside of the city currently. Um, All right. So, yeah. I didn't know the backstory. If there was more to it than that, it's just a nice place to be. So yeah, that works. Uh, here's the guy that I like as a possible breakout in Baltimore. Yusniel Diaz. He's been hurt a ton. He was a big part of the trade that sent Manny Machado to the Dodgers a few years ago. Uh, I would say rather than Charm City, Baltimore is the land of opportunity for position players yeah. right now. So a guy like Diaz can find a lot of playing time very soon. And it's I think he's a better fantasy player than a real player. I think there are probably concerns about defense. He's truly a corner guy. There's zero chance he's ever going to play center field. So he has to hit quite a bit to keep that job in the long run. But I'm not worried about the long run. I'm just looking for 2021. So... I'm in on Diaz, but is there something I should know about him, Britt? Is there any reason why it can't happen for him this year? No, because like you said, it's the land of opportunity. So I think he's probably going to get every opportunity. And speaking of which, I mean, I would pick Ryan Mountcastle as another guy who, uh, you know, his bat's always been okay, but they've been like, where are we going to put this guy? Well, it appears they're going to put him in left field. He's going to be their opening day left fielder. So I I think that's kind of another scenario. Uh I don't see Diaz. I see Diaz and Mountcastle as kind of the same thing. Like maybe they're not going to be these great part of the next great Orioles team. But for right now, uh, there's an opportunity for breakout. And then also, I don't mean to pick two. However, I covered the Orioles. So I feel like I can pick two if I want to. Uh, Trey Mancini should be a breakout guy. Why? Because not only is he this terrific story, right? Coming back from cancer um, and all of that. But people forget that he should have been an all-star in 2019. He had a breakout year in 2019 uh, because nobody really watches the Orioles. He kind of got screwed to some extent. Uh, but if he comes back and is able to kind of continue on what he was doing, like how great would that be? Not only is he a great guy, it's a great story, uh, but he really is one of the last remaining like faces of that team. People w- don't really want to associate Chris Davis as the face of the Orioles because of how bad that contract has worked out. So Trey Mancini is the guy. He is the leader. And go back to 2019 and look at Trey Mancini and look at what he was able to do. I think people get so worked up about the the cancer stuff that they forget that this guy isn't just a feel-good story. He's actually a really good player. Yeah. You know, one of the things about him that's interesting is I think that for a long time people were fascinated or obsessed with his ground ball rate. But then we got these better advanced stats and he barrels the ball well. So he's one of these guys that, you know, will settle, not settle, but will hit a bunch of line drives, will hit hard line drives, and they look like ground balls, and it looks like he doesn't lift the ball, but he also hits the ball hard in the air. 
So it's actually kind of a, a really good package in terms of hitting for average and hitting for power. Um, and I think that he's a really good hitter. The, here's the only problem, man. I think they got to trade him because they've got Mountcastle. They've got Diaz. I my One of my picks was Stewart. I like DJ Stewart. Um, I think he's, especially for fantasy, he's got a power speed game. Um, they've got Santander. You know, they've got Mountcastle. These guys are all corner outfielders, first basemen. And in in center, I don't know that I believe in Austin Hayes as much as some people do. And Cedric Mullins is your sort of uh, prototypical kind of defense and speed guy without much offensive ceiling. So they have bats in corner positions and they're missing impact up the middle other than Rutschman. So there's, yeah. there's something still missing from how this all fits together. Um, and well, then they're out there going to, they're going to put Jemai Jones out there. And I don't, you know, I've talked to a fair amount of sort of scouts and industry people on Jemai Jones, and there is not that much excitement for him. So they're, they're, they're kind of scrounging at short second and third. And they've got an abundance of first base slash outfielder types. Yeah. You do wonder, is the clock running out? Will it run out on Chris Davis this season? Freeing up a spot for one of those guys? Like a Trey Mancini? That's what you do. That's what you do. Actually, yeah. So fun fact here. So the Orioles overlooking Trey Mancini within their organization, they always thought he was like this 4A guy, is the reason why they signed Chris Davis to that deal. They didn't think they had a long-term first baseman in their system. However, when Trey Mancini came up and proved that, you know, he was, I think, in the top three in AL Rookie of the Year, the year the judge ran away with it. Uh, so really, it was the vast oversight on Trey Mancini that forced them into that position with Davis. And I think that ultimately, this is the year to absorb what's left of his contract. Just cut him. Yeah, just cut that. him. Just cut him. Yeah. Then everything works a yeah. little bit better. Mancini at DH, Mountcastle at first. Stewart, you give Stewart a little bit of ride in left. If he doesn't make it happen, Diaz comes up. Everything fits a little better. So I used to have a, a coworker who'd say that the playing time in the big leagues is a valuable currency when you are a rebuilding team. Every at bat, every inning is development time that should be highly valued. And if you have a sunk cost like Chris Davis, like this on, started yeah. with, you have to move on. It started with like Jose Vidro as a horrible DH with a bad contract in Seattle like 15 years ago. This guy was a Mariners fan. He's like, it's the dumbest thing in the world that they don't just give someone else the playing time. They have to pay him either way. They might as well DFA him, play somebody else. Unfortunately, they've given Chris Davis plenty of chances. And what was that front office thinking? Like, we got to have our long-term first baseman locked up. Where does long-term first baseman fall on a normal organization's priority list of importance? Does it even make the top 20 of like things that you are worried about if you're running a team? Like right. that's, that's completely bananas. Yes, that was a Peter Angelo special. That was not uh, the easiest way to piss off Dan Duquette or Buck Showalter is insinuate that anybody <laughs> thought that was a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> like... It's just, I mean, it's so much so that Dan Duquette has said this on the record. Like, that's a Peter Angelo special because everyone's just like. <laughs> that's funny. He said it on the record. Uh, that's one awesome. Thing, I love that he said it on the record. One thing He's that, like, I am not going to let this tarnish my legacy. <laughs> one thing that came up in uh, discussions uh, for our last piece about uh, pitching development um, was how much uh, certain teams have changed um in in recent times and so when you're looking at 
you know, how much velocity a pitcher has gained in the last five years? What if the pitching development program at a team has trained drastically in the last two or three years? And I kind of was talking about that a little bit with the Marlins, but it's really in effect when you're talking about the Blue Jays and when you're talking about the Orioles. The Orioles have completely changed their pitching development philosophy and process. And so, for example, when I talked to John Means the last time we saw each other in the clubhouse, he had already um, had discussions, like he already spoke my language, you know. We talked about uh, spin rate and spin efficiency and spin comps and like how he developed his changeup um, and how it was the Marco Estrada changeup. So uh, that's the first wave. The second wave, I actually like Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken a little bit more than most. And I know the park is tough and that makes it tough on fantasy. Uh, but uh, Kramer, even a little bit more than Aiken, I think has an interesting arsenal, um, has good enough command. Uh, and might uh, have a bit of a breakout season. And just the fact that they kind of developed uh, Kramer and Aiken to this point makes me feel like maybe we'll have some other pop-up guys. Um, I don't know if it's Bruce Zimmerman necessarily. Uh, Maybe it could be Michael Bauman. Um, But maybe it's somebody whose name I don't know. Um, And uh, so I have some confidence now in the Orioles to uh, produce pitchers. So I just wanted to put... Dean Kramer on this list as a, as a bit of a name. Anyway, we've, we've given people like 10 names to this team, and that's that's what happens with bad teams, you know? I mean, it's a lot easier to, to go hunting on a bad team. Yeah, there's a lot of sleepers. No one knows who they are. Right. And also, they're my th- I have a soft spot for them, for Charm City. So thanks for giving them airtime, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to help. Uh, let's take a look at the Red Sox. I like Jaron Duran. I, I don't know how quickly he's going to get up this year, but... I think he does finish the year in the big leagues if he's continuing to mash in the upper levels of the minors. Maybe the low-hanging fruit is Bobby Dahlbeck oh, because okay. he's having a great spring. He got the call-up last year. The K rate was really high upon debut. That's probably going to come down at least to the low 30% range. And First base is really his to lose at this point. It seems like they've soured a bit on Michael Chavis, and you have other guys like Marwin Gonzalez and Kike Hernandez that you don't really want to play at first base. So... If Dahlbach is too obvious, I'll go with Jaron Duran as the prospect that should have an outfield spot to call his own at some point this summer. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Bobby Dahlbach is the easy one. He's the one who apparently is the kind of guy who like still answers text messages and, and phone calls with every reporter, which you know is going to go away soon. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's he's got the big... The swing and miss is a little concerning, right? I think it's... Strikeout rate is what? like for, It's like over 40%, but I think the... Uh, the, the power is real. I mean, it's not just – you could look at spring training and say these are wind-aided home runs. Um, I did spend some time in Red Sox camp and talking to people, and uh, the power is real. It has nothing to do with the wind or the, the quality of play. He's going to hit for power. Um, I think that much is definitely assured. Um, this isn't really like a sleeper breakout guy, but a guy who I think just never gets enough attention because we're in this golden age of shortstops is Xander Bogarts. Did you guys know that he is like, eventually, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be the Red Sox franchise leader in games played in shortstop, wow. uh, which is remarkable. I know. I'm a, I was supposed to write this column this week, then I got behind, uh, probably do it next week. Uh, but he he's like this steady presence that you don't really realize is as good as he is. It's similar to Trey Turner, I guess, because the Lindors of the world and the Carlos Correas. And, you know, this is a time where the shortstop's. This is such a great time for shortstops to watch. 
Uh, but remember when people were like, oh, Bogarts, he's not going to last at shortstop. They're going to have to That's move right. him. That's right. Right? Like, that was a thing. Yeah. That was a thing. And he's just been quietly plugging away um, ever since, you know, for the past decade in Boston's organization. He got signed out of um, Aruba at 16. So I think he's a guy who – it's not a breakout, right? It's not a surprise if he plays well. Um, but I think he's a guy who you're going to be like – realize when he's done playing, like, man, he was really good. He's like that last link to their like past, really. J.J. Martinez to some extent. But the last guy that's on that pretty much faceless Red Sox organization that's going through this transition yeah. um, is Xander Bogarts. Yeah, that's a good call. So – yeah. Uh, I'm going to play for the deep, 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 deep leaguers. I'm going to play <laughs> build a bench. So let's build a bench. Uh, Duran, I think, as I'm excited for him. Uh, we've talked about is Verdugo a center fielder long term? Uh, Jaron Duran would come in and play center field, so that would be good. Uh, but I don't think he's going to uh, break camp with the team. So uh, you need a backup center fielder, you need a backup shortstop, you need a backup catcher. Backup catcher is is boring. Nobody cares. Uh, backup shortstop is Marwin Gonzalez or Marwin and Kike, Kike are both. I mean, they both can do backup it. Backup center yeah. fielder is not Marwin Gonzalez. Is Kike. So if Kike is a little bit more of the backup center fielder, I would say Marwin is a little bit more of the backup shortstop. Now, you've Marwin is the backup left fielder, right? Yeah, and, and Kike might be the regular starter at, at second base initially. But, so both of those guys might be in the lineup almost every day to start the season, even if they don't I stay I think Marwin and Kike are going to play a lot. So Marwin is an interesting uh, uh, sleeper. But if Marwin is also needed at third base, which I think he's the backup there, you're talking about them being backups in a lot of places and being needed. I think Christian Arroyo is going to make this team. Um just because you need a sort of nominal second baseman. Uh, plus, plus this is a Red Sox team that's still in talent acquisition, right? So, yeah. you know, what you do is you play Christian Arroyo enough to, like you said, every at-bat on a rebuilding squad is, is, is an important one, right? So you play Christian Arroyo early in the season enough to know, is he an asset for us? Even as a utility guy behind Kike, and we make Kike a starter, right? Can he play in the big leagues? And so I think that question is going to be answered for Christian Arroyo this year. That's valuable information, I think, for the very deepest teams. <laughs> the deepest I mean, the AL only, the 12-team yeah. AL only. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I picked him for my reserve in AL labor. I, I mean, I think he I think it's, he could find his way to semi-regular playing time with near-league average power, you know? The other guy that kind of plays all over that could end up on the roster again at some point is Yairo Munoz. I think he got DFA'd in the offseason, but he stayed in the organization. Uh, hard hit rate jumped last year, 38% hard hit rate. Average exit velo kind of backed it up. Doesn't barrel the ball a ton. More of just like a play all over utility type guy. That I mean, they, they almost need one of those if if Kike's a starter at second. You know what I mean? Because then they don't have a backup yeah. in center field. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's go to the Yankees. Davey Garcia is on my mind. We talked to Lindsey Adler on Fantasy Baseball in 15. He's, I think, the favorite to be the number five starter based on the conversation we had with her, which absolutely makes sense. Why not? Why shouldn't Davey Garcia be the number five starter? I think there's going to be some careful management of his innings given how young he is. He was on that sort of track anyway, regardless of the shortened season last year. 
but I think we're talking about someone that might be able to come in with a, a sub four ERA and a pretty good whip, even having to pitch half his games in Yankee Stadium. I think everything you see and, and read about Garcia points to a guy who's much more polished than most pitchers his age. And I think that gives him a chance to really thrive here in 2021. Yeah, I like that. I, I like Michael King too as a potential like breakout guy. Uh, you know, he did a lot of work at the Yankees alternate site, uh, really worked on the like the access right of, of the was it the access point or the spin rate? You guys are much smarter than than I am. Uh, the access of his changeup, um, and I think you know when you look at a guy like that, he certainly held his own. I felt like in some big moments for them last year. Um, I think he's a guy, um, especially when you look at you know some of the injuries that the Yankees have already dealt with. Um, he's a, a young guy who's on the rise. I like him as like a potential. And probably with Clark Schmidt hurt and Luis Severino starting on the DL, um, you know, probably their sixth guy. Right. Which is is, is useful in, in, in today's game. I mean, there's going to be a lot of injuries. So, yeah, this is also a really uh, picked over lineup. I don't know that I have – like, I actually don't know if I have a sleeper for you. I have noticed that Aaron Hicks is not valued very highly in drafts. Um, and, you know, I did ask somebody – uh, about the sort of Jay Bruce situation. Like, if Jay Bruce makes this squad, then Mike Talkman is in trouble um, in terms of a roster spot because they brought Brad Gardner back. And I did ask someone, like, you know, so who's going to open on the DL so Mike Talkman can make the team? <laughs> and they said Aaron Hicks. Uh, but that's not saying that there's actually an injury. It's just, you know, <laughs> it was just a, a guess. Uh, but, uh, uh, Otherwise, I like Aaron Hicks, and I, you know, he steals a little. Uh, he steals some bags, hits some homers. Uh, doesn't really hit a high enough average or do any of the bag stealing or homer hitting enough for people to really register him as like, oh, I'm going to pick him for power. I'm going to pick him for speed. A lot of those guys get undervalued because you know, late in a draft, you're like, ooh, I really need speed. Should I pick Leody Tavares or Aaron Hicks? And then you pick Leody Tavares because you're going big on speed. Uh, but if you had a balanced early draft, you can pick Aaron Hicks and he'll be probably more valuable than Leotis Tavares. Yeah, I, I think get third in the lineup and play nearly every day. And it's a very hitter friendly park. He's further removed from the elbow mm-hmm. surgery. All signs pointing up for Hicks. I'm definitely in at the reduced price this draft season. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. Let's move on to the Rays. I'm going to leave the pitchers out there for you guys. I'm going to say on the depth chart among hitters, Francisco Mejia is the guy that I think is a little bit underrated. He could still have a breakout. Hit tool has always been good. 
we've seen the Rays take plenty of players like this and, and get a lot of mileage out of him. But even if they don't make him better, let's just say we get 2019 Francisco Mejia again. That's about a dozen homers, a good batting average, a decent OBP, a clear offensive upgrade over Mike Zanino. And catchers are a mess every year in fantasy. So to have a guy that plays two-thirds or three-quarters of the time that actually helps you a little bit, maybe in every category except for steals, that's actually pretty nice. And he's going late enough where you're talking like pick 400 probably for Mejia. So pretty much an afterthought in drafts, but a guy that I think ends up taking the bulk of the playing time behind the plate for the Rays this season. I agree, uh, but I did talk to uh, someone close to that organization, and they pointed out that um, Mike, they, Mike and Zeno, they value very highly uh, how a, a catcher handles a staff, how they frame, how they uh, call the games, and how they deal with the pitchers. Um, Zanino's the incumbent, and so therefore he's going to have a real leg up when it comes to those parts of the game. So this uh, source thought that possibly uh, could get to 50-50, but they he doubted that it would switch uh, to majority Mejia. Uh, but I think uh, a standout offensive season and uh, some quick meshing with the pitchers, especially since he comes over with Patino, uh, there could be uh, a sort of ascendance where the two of them kind of ascend together. Because uh, Patino, I think, is going to start at the alternate site um, and come in as a starter is is my understanding so um i don't you know and if you think about it i think it makes sense because you want a patino to develop as a starter and fleming is your natural kind of bulk guy that can be on the roster and come in after waka come in after archer that sort of deal patino you want to kind of keep on a track and maybe uh come in you know for when Hill hits the DL um, or Waka hits the DL or something like that, or when you've just decided to make one of those guys a reliever. Um, so that's, I could see that them kind of coming together as a tandem and by July it being kind of 50 50 behind the plate and Patino's in the rotation. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good pick. I like um, Yoshitomo. Uh, they're like third baseman outfielder that they signed to a, a two year deal last winter. Um, I think. First off, I think people don't realize how tough it is, just the culture and acclimating. And then you have to deal with, can you imagine? Then you have to deal with the start and stop of spring training. And then, oops, we're playing a 60-game season. So I think if you look at him and you look at, he had good, um, you know, he had good exit velocity. I think he had good, uh, you know, hard a lot of hard hit balls. I think he's a guy who everything that he had to deal with, that cognitive load of coming from Japan, learning the language, learning the new teammates, the, the COVID issues. Uh, I think he's a guy who is going to be able to take a step forward because he doesn't have to deal with that quite as much. So I think he's kind of shown the, the peripheral stats. Um, I think he's probably going to end up being a, a more of a central force to them. He didn't really have a good 2020. But again, like we've said, um, you could almost take 2020 and look at it however you want, right? You can overanalyze it or you can just completely throw it out the window. I think in his case, you kind of completely throw it out the window. Yeah, I think there was a lot to like in his profile when he came over. I think for me, I see him as kind of a not quite everyday guy. So for, for a lot of fantasy leagues, he fits really well in AL only. He's probably undervalued there and plays enough to definitely be useful there. I think in a lot of mixed leagues, he's the kind of guy that if Yandy Diaz gets hurt and Wander's not up yet and the infield's not super crowded... Satsugo starts to play a lot more, and then he becomes a pickup in mixed leagues because he has the kind of power and the OBP skills to make an impact. Yeah. When do we see Wander, do you guys think? 
I, I actually think Taylor Walls is ahead of him. And I don't mean Taylor Walls is a better player. I just mean that if if there's an issue where someone's hurt for two weeks, I think it's Taylor Walls that comes up. Because they don't they don't care so much about, you know, massaging his playing time or making him come up at the right moment. I think if there was maybe a one month issue or a six to eight injury, six to eight week injury for someone like Brandon Lau, um, then you then you bring up Franco. So frustrating. Yes. We talked about this before. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, we prefer Nick Marjavicious. We, to we prefer Gilbert. Joey oh, Wendell no, 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 no. to Wander Franco. <laughs> Where we want, we want Joey Wendell to play, so we can have Taylor Walls back up, and and Wander can just keep mashing at the <laughs> ultimate side a little longer. Yeah, it is a little frustrating, but uh, Joey Wendell. I mean, in terms of long term, like I think Wander Franco is the is a starting uh, infielder for them by next year. Uh, because Joey Wendell's getting to the end of his team control. He's, he's the typical. He's at the typical cut or trade uh, portion of a Rays player life cycle. <laughs> I mean, he's an old man in Tampa, right? I mean, he's he's thirty <laughs> years old. My God, how did they let him get to turn thirty? Really old for Tampa. <laughs> wow. Um, and also, Wendell's like more of a utility guy. I think um, they're just trying to massage him into. Uh, kind of an everydayer by pairing him with Yandy Diaz. And then Michael Brousseau, I think, might be my uh, sleeper because uh, he's always going to be in against lefties. And there is a non-zero chance that um, he gets enough playing time against righties that you look up and a month or so into the season, he's the starter at third base and Wendell is a true utility man. I think I'm Satsugo over Brasso, and they're both AL-only guys for me for now with that wait and see because with Tampa Bay for many spots in the depth chart, if playing time consolidates, someone becomes more relevant for us. If it doesn't, we're stuck in, in all these platoons because they love to mix and match the way that they do. Uh, you know, you've talked a lot about Thomas Hatch and Julian Merriweather in the last three months or so now. So they're I know they're definitely on your mind. If we get to the Jays, uh, is there anybody else in Toronto that you see as a possible deep sleeper or breakout candidate? Not deep, actually. I think in any league, I took him in TGFBI. I think Rowdy Telez is being uh, is being shoved aside too much by this new depth um, in in Toronto, and I have a feeling that Teoscar Hernandez is going to take a step back, um, and that Rowdy Telez will be in the lineup more than people think. So uh, it might take an injury. As soon as there is an injury, Rowdy's the first guy up. Um, and I'm just, just betting on the bat. Basically, I believe in that bat and I believe in that bat more than I believe in Teoscar Hernandez's bat. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because the Blue Jays are in that situation where they've got a whole bunch of young guys who everyone has heard of already. Right. So how deep are these sleepers? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Nate Pearson is a guy who is throwing a hundred miles an hour already. And someone who, Eno and I mentioned, uh, in that story, we're just scratching the surface on him. So is it fair to say he's not a deep sleeper, but could he have a breakout season? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, he didn't get quite the hype that like the Black Guerrero Jr. did. But like the Blue Jays roster is just full of these young guys who a lot of people have heard of. We talked about, you know, no one's heard of a lot of the Marlins. No one's heard of a lot of the Rays. Uh, the Blue Jays young guys are a big deal already. And I think that's kind of exciting as well. Yeah, with Rourke and Mats as the maybe the three four, I think Pearson, Hatch, and Merriweather are the future. And this team um, has such a loaded lineup that yeah, they can make it work with Rourke and Mats. But if they want to like win the World Series, 
it's going to be with Pearson, Hatch, and Merriweather. I'm not saying all three of them, but with with one or two of them, you know what I mean. So that's that's why uh, I like those young guys, and I and I know uh, internally that the plan is to for Merriweather to get to 100 innings, and that Hatch is ahead of him in terms of being stretched out. So does that mean Hatch gets to 150, where some of them are simulated kind of alternate site type stuff, or you know what's the deal there? So. Um, I, I don't, I don't know exactly how I, I put this together, but I think that at some point, uh, the best rotation this team can put together has those three guys in it. Yeah. I think they need a couple of wins in the bottom half of that rotation. If they're going to keep pace in the AL East, they're going to take a step forward, but how big of a step I think hinges on the performance of three of those guys in particular. I got one more for this team before you leave. Kirby Yates came out. I, I don't know if I said on this podcast, I've had to do some podcasts, but Kirby Yates, uh, maxed out at 938 uh in his first uh, appearance and that's not Kirby that's not vintage Kirby Yates. So Jordan Romano is uh on all my lists right now. Keep an eye on that radar gun the next couple times out, but yeah, Romano looked really interesting last season. If he wants to sit 94 plus like he did when he was really good, he needs to max at 96. Yeah, definitely some cause for concern with Kirby Yates. All right, not much time left. We have to run through these changes very quickly. Minor league experience experiments are taking place. Jason Stark wrote about this, and the goals are as follows, as written in the piece. A game with more action, more balls in play and less dead time. A game with more pace and better rhythm. A game with more base stealing and more chances for world-class athletes to show off their athleticism in the field on the bases. And a game with less swinging and missing, fewer pitching changes, and less time between balls and play. So we have some changes at various minor league levels. Here's what's happening. I'll run through the changes. You guys can let me know what you think of these kind of as a group. No infielders in the outfield. That's going to happen at double A. Some pretty big impact there for pull hitters and really slow dudes. Bigger bases. That's going to happen at triple A. Bases are 15 by 15 inches now. They're going to be 18 by 18 inches at triple A. Also a new material closer to the ground as well. Pitchers are going to have to step off the rubber before attempting a pickoff. They're going to do this at high A, so that's obviously good for base runners. has a pretty big negative impact on left-handed pitchers' pickoff moves. And automated balls and strikes are going to happen at low A. Plus, there's going to be a 15-second pitch clock, which is down from 20 seconds in the upper levels of the minors. Uh, pitchers will have 15 seconds to start their windup or come to a set position from the stretch. Otherwise, it's an automatic ball. Uh, the batter has to be attentive in quotes, whatever that means to the pitcher with it eight seconds being left on the clock. Otherwise, it's an automatic strike. And there will now be a 30-second clock between batters mid-inning. And the time between innings goes from 2.15 to exactly two minutes. So a lot of things, a couple different changes, different levels. Britt, what was your reaction when you saw this? I think most of the changes are good. Um, I especially like the bigger bases because I think it's going to be more exciting to watch. Listen, I love stolen bases. I don't know if I'm in the minority here. I think it makes the game really exciting. Um, I love the speed. I love the athleticism. I, I I just, I love stolen bases. I think it puts a lot more pressure on pitchers and defenses. And uh, so I think the bigger bases is going to make it easier and safer. You're going to avoid a lot of the collisions at the plate. I really like that. Um, I'm kind of on the fence about the, 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 the rule that allows, or that kind of deters you from the shift, right? Having both of your feet on the infield dirt. I don't know how you guys feel about that. To me, like I'm all for everything else. The pitch clock, 
about damn time. Like, put a clock on them, throw the ball faster, get in the batter's box. Cool with that. I don't know <laughs> if we box. should be. Uh, <laughs> get in the box. Uh, especially during the playoffs. That just drove me insane. Oh, my God. Um, I think no more Garcia Parra. I, I, I don't. <laughs> right. right like stop messing with your batting gloves they're on <laughs> once they're on they're velcroed you know uh i i i guess i'm curious your guys' thoughts here because i don't have one i don't feel one way or the other about the infield rule because why punish teams that have advanced information that that know where to position guys right um are we almost going backwards now with that rule that one to me was the one that stood out as like a well are we going too far backwards I, I guess my one a little bit of a worry with that is that if you look at it, there are some small market teams that have um, made have been doing well at pitching at run prevention. We just talked about the Rays, right? They've been doing well at run prevention using these kind of tactics, using shifts and, and stuff like that. And it is an opportunity for you to kind of get some value out of the field without spending a lot of money. Um, and so if you do make it so that just the best athletes win all the time, then you might make it so that the, the, the most, the richest teams just buy all the best athletes and there's no strategy that the smaller market teams can do, uh, to stick with them. So that, I guess that's a possibility. Uh, on the other hand, I do like the fact that there might be more singles. I mean, singles is their balls in play, you know, they're, 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 they're exciting, you know? Um, I don't, it's not always that exciting to have like a second baseman, uh, grab, uh, what would be a single in short right field. It's, it's kind of bizarre actually. So, um, and, and I think, and I think fundamentally baseball has the right to do these things. You know, they have the right to play with the game. If the game doesn't look the way they want it to exactly, then they can play with it. I mean, we had massive changes to what pass interference was in football. We had massive changes to what a, a, a what kind of hand checking you can do in basketball at the perimeter. We've had massive changes to the other sports. And I think baseball in some ways has fallen behind in terms of manipulating uh, the sport and, and, and uh, trying different things. So mostly... I'm mostly I'm cool with all of it. With the base thing, base pass thing, yes, making the, the, the base bigger will make the base pass shorter. But we talked about it on the show the other day, why not make it five feet shorter? So that's the only thing. I was like, wow, like if we're trying all these things, why not try a completely different situation with the base pass? Um, it's not like 90 feet was handed down from God. <laughs> right. uh, I think I think you'd get a lot more pushback though. Yes, yes. On any significant change, but you're right. Hockey also like totally reworked their rules uh, in terms of like blue lines and icing and things like that a few years ago, and totally like sped up the game because the game was slow. Yeah. Um, so I agree. I, I I agree with that. I think that's a good point. And also Theo's in charge of this, and everyone seems to love everything that Theo does. So that gives it a little more credibility too, right? It, it sounded like they consulted with teams and different people too. The this wasn't just like a unilateral decision. Like they were trying to come up with some solutions that were sort of subtle in most cases, but still impactful. I do think the restrictions on where infielders can play is the most interesting one because there are a lot of players who would become much better hitters with only two defenders on that side of the field, especially if they have to be on the dirt. So. What I think is going to be interesting is each level having these different rules. We have to keep that in mind. We're analyzing the players that play at those levels. So if there's a, a pull-happy first-base corner guy at double-A this year, 
and there are no infielders the in the outfield, soars. like you got to take yeah. that with a grain of salt, right? If that doesn't become a real rule, we're going to get tricked by that player having this great year at Double A. So I was just thinking about it from like a long term analysis standpoint. Robo lumps all the way up to low A. But you know, we always when we're looking at low A stats, we're always like. Well, wait, what do these mean? <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely a take these with the appropriate <laughs> grain of salt. All in all, though, I, I like what they were trying. I, I like what they're trying to do. I, I think they got to make some changes. This is a better way to do it than you know forcing it into the big leagues in a negotiation all at once. At least you can kind of see what each of these things actually does in isolation. And I think that that gives you a better sense of how it might impact things at the top level if any of these become major league rules. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Athletic Cutline Fantasy Baseball Contest is up for sign-up. I'll put the link in the show notes. It starts on Monday. It's a slow draft. All the details are posted up on the site, so I'll put the post for that on there as well. The biggest thing for this, steals aren't as important. They still count. It's a points league, but you don't have to get guys who run who are bad players. You don't have to get closers for saves who are only on your team because they get saves. You can get guys who are just good as a result of it being a points league. So that's my... 30-second tip. That's what's different. It's a deep bench. you got to have lots of coverage, a lot of redundancies in that roster because it automatically puts the best players in your lineup for you each and every week. As we go, we have a contribution from Kevin. Byron Buxton joined the Weird Injury Club this week when he had to go to the dentist after finding a bone in his steak. He broke a tooth eating steak, which... And I just hope hope this isn't one of those years for Byron Buxton because he's had too many of them where... Every accident, every possible injury finds him. He's just one of those guys. I want to see him completely healthy for a year, guys. 150 games from Byron Buxton. Seems impossible, but that's uh, that's what I'm hoping for. A lot of good stuff on the site. As Eno and Britt mentioned, they wrote a great piece collaborating, looking at pitching development and which organizations are getting the most velocity-wise out of pitchers after drafting them. Really cool stuff from them. You can check out the Jason Stark piece that I mentioned uh, with all the rules change changes outlined in there. Uh, $3.99 a month gets you in the door. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. I hope both of you have a better weekend than Byron Buxton did while he was eating <laughs> his steak. Teeth things always freak me out. I don't like yeah. teeth stuff. That's it's not, it's not good. I broke these two. Oh, oh. you did? Hmm. Did you? As a kid. Yeah. I don't know. I wore braces for way too long to have to replace my teeth again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't really want to do braces again as a grown-up. They were not fun uh, as a kid. Uh, on Twitter, she's at Brit underscore Giroli. He's at Enoceris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening and watching. <laughs>